Once you are self-aware, you must make a change. Welcome to the Millionaire Woman Show, where we'll be discussing leadership, business, human potential, inspiring you to live rich from the inside out. Unlock your creativity, stretch out of your comfort zone, break through your barriers, take inspired action, and achieve epic results. Now here's your host, three-time best-selling author, speaker, and certified executive coach, Deborah Kozowski. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Millionaire Woman Show, where I bring you guests from around the world to inspire, educate, and motivate you into taking inspired action. Today, my special guest I got to meet, I was actually an icon of influence at his event called the New Media Summit. Please welcome Steve Olsher, a 30-plus year entrepreneur, founder, editor-in-chief of Podcast Magazine, original founder of Liquor.com, creator of the New Media Summit, host of the top-rated po podcast, Reinvent Radio, international keynote speaker, and in-demand strategic coach who helps businesses of all sizes leverage the power of new media to generate visibility, leads, and revenue on autopilot. Please welcome my guest, Steve Ulsher, to The Millionaire Woman Show. Thank hey, you. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Appreciate it. Well, Steve, you know, I had heard from you about you from one of our other guests, Corey Poirier, and I've done a blue talk mm. on his stage. And he said, Deb, you really need to go check out the New Media Summit. I think you need to be an icon. And when I had the opportunity to come from Canada and uh, come to your event, I was blown away. I mm. had, you know, started my own podcast. And just from sitting in a room listening to people talking about podcasting, and I was like, hey, you know, what? I think this is something I can do. And 30 days later, I launched a podcast, not knowing even close to the magnitude of what new media really meant. And really attending your event really helped me see myself in a totally different light, as well as connect with other podcasters, making such a huge difference. And I just love how you brought all these individuals together. So I'd love to tell, tell us a little bit more about what new media is and what's really the difference between what we consider the new media and old media. Yeah, so the best way to explain it is I, I would say that um, sort of the, the old media world is what would fall into the category of, uh, of push technologies where uh, a room full of people make decisions about what content or information or education, uh, entertainment, et cetera, is going to be pushed out to the masses on a particular channel. And the masses really only have the opportunity to go to that channel and then either stay on that channel to consume what has been pushed out uh, or, of course, change the channel to another platform where other information is being pushed out at them versus uh, new media, which can be best described as uh, as pull media. So the consumer ultimately makes a decision about what it is that they want to consume when they want to consume it and on their device of choice, right? So basically, um, if you liken it to uh, if you have an email list and you send out an email, uh, you know that if you get a, a 20 or 30 or 40% open rate, that's pretty good. Well, pull media is the equivalent of having basically a 100% um, 
email open, right? Because 100% of the people who are listening to or watching or consuming whatever that content is, they're all raising their hands to say, I want that and give that to me. So it's basically the equivalent of going 100% op open rate, so to speak. Um, and that's uh, the easiest, fastest way to describe the difference between new media and old media. So when we are looking at the new media with the podcasting, you know, and news email newsletter lists, how frequently, you know, should pe people be publishing some of this media? Well, I, I mean, I'll put it to you this way. So there's a lot of folks who are of the mindset that uh, if you have an email list and you're not emailing your list every single day, you don't really have an email list. You just have this mechanism that you use every now and again to get the word out about whatever that might be. I, I would argue that the same could potentially hold true for the world of new media. I mean, if you just think about it in terms of the way that our society works, we, we are a, a, a society that wants information to be fresh, to be new, to be revised, to, to just basically uh, replace whatever it is that we've already consumed. I and mean, we, we have this insatiable appetite for content. And so when you look at the, the world of new media, I would, I would liken it to, uh, again, just going back to email marketing, I would liken it to what you're seeing a lot of the successful email marketers do uh, in terms of with, uh, with new media, uh, again, comparing apples to apples, if we email every single day, we should be creating content every single day. Yeah, yeah. And I, I find that, you know, with the consumption, everyone's looking for something different. And, you know, people are like, you know, that content's already out there, you know, that book's already out there. What would you say to someone who thinks that, you know, content marketing is just overrated because that content's already exists? Um, well, I mean, I, I don't think that there's any question at all that there's a lot of, of content. I mean, I, I can't sit here and say that the content in and of itself is overrated. I would say that bad content is probably overrated. You know, because there's a lot of people who just put out content for the sake of putting out content, and and that that in of itself is an effort in futility. I mean, that's that's not a reason to put out content on a consistent basis. You want to put out content on a consistent basis if and when what you are putting out actually continues to add value for those who are consuming it. So, um, if you don't have anything worthwhile to put out, uh, then you skip a day or two. But you know, reality is when you get to know your audience and you know what it is that they look to you for, it's, it's going to be very few and far between in terms of the days that someone wouldn't want to receive a message from you that, that supports why they've connected with you and, and, and really just exemplifies your, your expertise. Yeah. So why do you think it's becoming increasingly more difficult for business owners to generate that visibility that they deserve? Well, it's, a, it's that catch-22, because as the new media landscape evolves and more people have the ability to create and distribute content, you see that there are a lot more people creating and distributing content, right? And so not all of the content that's created, as you can probably attest to, is, is, is great, right? So, so the visibility piece basically is is tricky because uh, on one hand, the the playing field that works well for you in terms of you are being able to put out content and reach almost anyone, almost anywhere at almost any time 
is is a fairly new phenomenon really within the last 20 years or so and and so that's yeah i mean that that's that's an incredible advancement in technology and ability to be able to market who you are and what you do and, and reach people that you know frankly you would have had to spend millions of dollars in the past to be able to reach but at the same time at the same token it's just made it really really crowded you know you just have a lot of people who are taking advantage of the same tools and platforms that you are and as more people become content creators, uh, it's just that much more difficult to get found in, a, in, a, in an increasingly crowded ocean. And you've been said for, you know, succeeding in the world of new media is not as difficult as people make it out to be. And I know when I first learned about podcasting and listening to the gentleman while I was in the audience, I'm like, can't be that hard, can't be that hard. So I went home and I Googled, you know, and within the 30 days that I set for myself, you know, it could easily be done in 10. But you want to have really good content. You know, like you said, you don't want to be just putting out content for the sake of putting out content. So why mm -hmm. is it that easy to be successful? And what is, um, you know, how people can leverage this new media platform? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, I'm not saying that it is easy, so to speak. I'm saying that there is a, a method for, for finding success, right. And, and, and a key method for finding success um, is, is really just to gain as much clarity as you possibly can on who the people are that you are most compelled to serve. Right. And I think that what so many content creators end up doing is they is they just simply create content for the sake of of having a new video or having a new podcast episode or having a new blog post or what, whatever that might be uh, without giving real solid consideration to who they actually are intending for that content to be for. Mm -hmm. So if you're, if you're going to, to dive into this, this landscape of, of new media and creating content, um, the, the way to best find success is, is to really just have uh, as much clarity around who those people are that you're most compelled to serve as, as humanly possible and just create content specifically for them. And, and no matter how niche you get, um, th there is an audience for you. I think that's very important for people to understand that it could be a s small niche doesn't mean that people aren't going to still approach you based on your expertise. And um, I've seen just tremendous growth in, you know, the number of downloads, the number of people seeking out, um, hearing from either podcast blocking um, booking platforms. But one of the things that I found very interesting and, you know, I've had many people approach to be on the show yet they never say how they're going to promote the show. And that was one of the greatest things that I think I took away from your summit when people are, you know, say, get me on your show, get me on your show, but they don't talk about that reciprocity of how they're going to promote the show. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, it, it's really made me see how that invite has to be a place of reciprocity and really building that return on investment. What have you seen as return on investment for your podcast and growth? Yeah, and and look, I'll, I'll simply say that part of where the, the the maturation of this of this industry is, uh, you're starting to see this quite quite a bit more now so than ever, 
um, is, you know, the reality is that I think a lot of people are becoming, number one, much more clear on the fact that uh, it's, it's really not the guest's responsibility to do anything for the podcast that the guest appears on, right? Because reality is that their time in terms of sharing their expertise and, and carving out what, whatever part of the day they are carving out to be a, a guest on that show is, is of value. And ultimately, that's, that value translates to the, the show upon, you know, of which they are a guest on being able to, to leverage that expertise and leverage that content to continue to build the credibility and authority and, and visibility of, of their show, right? So I think that you're starting to see um, more of the, uh, and it cuts both ways. I mean, obviously the, the host understands that the platform that they're creating uh, is of value, right? And in some cases, people have spent years. I mean, like we did our first episode of Reinvention Radio in 2009. So, you know, we've, we've been doing episodes for a long time. It's taken us years to get to where we are. So obviously that platform has value and the, and the hosts are, are certainly seeing that more and more and recognizing that more and more and more, but so are the guests, right? I mean, the guests certainly understand also that they have a unique perspective. They have a, a, a brand name, so to speak, of their own. Uh, and so... And so, right, all, all of that being said, I, I just think that you're starting to see more of a dance, more of a complementary relationship as opposed to kind of the one-way street that it felt uh, for, for so long where the, um, the, the, the guests, honestly, for a long time felt like they were doing the, the hosts a favor, especially as you got to some of the bigger name people. Uh, and, and then the pendulum swung the other way. And then a lot of the, the hosts felt like they were doing uh, a really big favor, so to speak, for the people that were coming uh, on, on their shows because they'd built up this really big platform. And now I think you're starting to see it swing a little bit more in the middle. Uh, and so there's, there's, there's definitely something to be said for, uh, for the balance that I think has been achieved between the two. But ultimately, at the end of the day, uh, as the podcast host, I mean, you, you have the right to, to hand the microphone to whomever you want. And if there's certain things you want or need or expect in exchange for that, uh, then you put it out there. And if they say no, they say no. But if they say yes, then obviously you've got uh, someone who's game to do that. Yeah, absolutely. Just looking over your shoulder there, um, you know, what's your what is one of your best selling books. And, you know, we often hear people talking about the why. I would love for you to mm -hmm. share with us a little bit about what your book is about. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, for those who are listening and not seeing, uh, yeah, I'm sitting in my, my home studio here. Lots of fun stuff. Uh, my grandfather's over there. Podcast magazine is over there. My gi from Brazilian Jiu Jitsu is over there. All kinds of stuff. Um, and yeah, what is your, what is the, uh, is the book that I put on the New York times list in 2013. Um, and it, it's really, um, you know, in author land, they say that you write the book that you most need, right? So for me, it was a book that I needed in terms of really trying to figure out how I'm naturally wired to excel and what is it that, that I can be doing uh, that I'm good at and, and really puts fire in my soul. Uh, and so over years of trying to figure that out and then eventually starting to help people try to figure out what, what puts fire on their soul, uh, I created a, a very specific framework for helping people understand what their core gift is, the primary vehicle they'll use to share that gift with the world, and then identifying the people that they're most compelled to serve 
Um, and so it's the combination of the gift, the vehicle, and the people that make up the what is your what framework. Uh, and yeah, it's it's a book that's helped um, people all across the globe. It's been translated into, ooh, I think um, I think eight or ten languages already. So yeah, it's uh, it's definitely definitely a, a work that I'm proud of for sure. Based on your experience, 30 plus years of entrepreneurship, what would be the three key um, lessons that you would share with someone just starting out? Well, I mean, in, in terms of going into the world of being uh, an entrepreneur. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, so what I mean, what I would say is first and foremost, um, Look, if you're if you're younger, it's it's one thing. If you're if you're older and you just got laid off from a job and you got to put food on a table, right? I mean, it's 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 something certainly that's very different. I'm gonna I'm gonna go on the assumption this is someone that potentially uh, has a little more runway and can be a little more flexible and take a little more risk uh, than than someone perhaps who's who's uh, a bit older and doesn't have that same luxury. Um, although the, the arguments could be made no matter what age you're at, uh, that, that all these rules certainly apply. But, you know, first and foremost, it, it really does. Um, it's become much clearer to me, Deborah, over the years now uh, that no matter what we do, um, God willing, we're, we're going to reach whatever that day is on the calendar that we're looking at. Right. So in other words, um, if you set a goal of, of doing something, let's just say you, you start out in the new year and you want to do something in the new year, no, no matter what happens, hopefully, again, God willing, you're going to reach December 31st of that, of that upcoming year, right? So, th so the question is, what are you going to do in that time between now and the end of, of that year? And so one of the things uh, that, that I certainly recommend is that when you look at getting started in terms of creating a business, do something. And I actually wrote this down the other day. Um, and let me see if I can find the quote that I wrote down because I really, um, this really hit home for me. And oh, well, here it is. Um, I have no idea who said this, <laughs> or maybe I interpreted this from. Um, uh, from what someone else said, but I wrote down the words interact with people at their happiest. And, and, and I love that idea. And I love that notion. And I love that concept, right? Which is if you're going to create a, a business, why not create something where you interact with people and intersect with people where they are at their happiest, right? Because how fulfilling would that be for you as a creator, whatever that endeavor is, and then how fulfilling would it be for the people who you then bring on as, as customers, right? Because the reality is, if you look at all the different businesses that are out there, so many businesses are, are built in, in, in these arenas where, let's just say that, that people aren't always at their happiest, right? So why not build uh, a business and intersect with people where, uh, where they're at their happiest, number one? Um, and, and then number two, that, of course, goes uh, for you as well, right? So where, where are you at your happiest? What, what really puts fire in your soul? What is it that you most enjoy doing? And, and I think that there's, uh, there's something to be said there for that in terms of creating a business, um, which not only, of course, leverage, leverages your talents and your inherent gifts and, and how you're naturally wired to excel, 
um, but also in terms of what really does make you the happiest and put that uh, really in, a, in alignment with in concentric circles, if you were, where the overlap is of meeting people where they're at their happiest. And of course, you know, the third piece of that puzzle and the third piece of the, you know, that maybe the third concentric circle there is, uh, is, is being able to get paid uh, at the level in which you, you want to be compensated. And so if you can find that intersection of the three concentric circles where you are doing something that you are operating at your happiest, where your customers are operating at their happiness and happiest and you're making good money doing it, um, man, that sounds like a dream job to me. So Steve, where are you at your happiest? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, you know, it, it varies. So there are, there are times where, uh, I really find joy in, in writing, uh, and there's, there's just something about the, the written word for me. I think it's one of my biggest strengths and I, and I really feel like it's, it's something that comes as naturally to me as breathing. So, uh, I really do love writing. Um, and I also love, um, being a, a promoter in terms of being able to highlight, others and sharing others brilliance with people who come into into my community. And so, you know, being able to connect with, uh, with amazing people, right, and just being able to see what it is that they're doing and, and, and just really celebrating how each of us are, are all very different and then being able to share what it is that these unique people are doing with with my tribe, my community. Uh, that, that always makes me happy for sure. And, you know, obviously that's business stuff, but then, you know, there's, there's the family and the dogs and the kids and the wife and, and all that fun stuff as well. Well, it led you to launching the podcast magazine and you've had some very, you know, um, celebrities covered and number of different articles and different things going on. Can you tell us a little bit more about the magazine itself? Yeah, I, uh, you know, I mean, you, you've known me now for a little while and you've known that I've been in this realm of podcasting for, for years. As I said, we did our first episode of, uh, of Reinvention Radio in 2009. So I've been in the space for, for a long time. Um, but I got to tell you, it just it was it was one of those things where I had to make the decision in terms of am I going to stay in this industry, am I going to continue down this path? What am, what am I going to do here? Because it's getting increasingly crowded. Mm -hmm. The podcasts that that I have uh, are are good. I like them, but I don't know that that's the case for for the masses because we haven't blown our our shows up to the point where they're landing in the top ten or the top twenty five or they're even the top hundred. I mean, we have glimpses here and there, but. Reality is, as more people came into the space between March of 2020 and uh, November of 2020, uh, we added almost 520,000 new podcasts, right, in that period of time. So, so as the space became increasingly crowded, and I had to make the decision of, you know, is this the conversation that I most want to be part of? Do I want to continue to be in this conversation of, of podcasts and podcasting and so on. If I do, how can I, how can I compete 
against some of these people who have, you know, really deep pockets, right? I mean, you've got all these celebrities who have a lot of money, they have a lot of fame, they have a lot of followers, et cetera, et cetera. And you have more and more of those types of people coming into the space, which means that shows like mine keep getting pushed farther and farther down the rung. So if I'm going to stay in this space and I want to have uh, my name come up in the conversation of podcasting, the question really became, then how do I do that? How, you know, what, what do we do to stay relevant in that conversation? And what became very clear, and this is a long answer to your question, but what became very clear is that I wasn't going to stay in the conversation based on the merits of the podcast itself. So I always like to try to think of, uh, of a wheel and you have uh, the hub of the wheel and then you have all the spokes that connect to the hub of the wheel. And ideally, you want to put yourself in position where you are the hub of the wheel, where ostensibly the, the different spokes of the industry connect to what it is that you're doing so that really no matter what it is that uh, is, is related to that particular industry, your name can come up in that conversation. Mm -hmm. And so the idea for podcast magazine really was born out of that desire, the desire to not be one of 1.6, 2 million, 3 million, 10 million podcasts, but to be really the only consumer facing fan centric magazine and publication that caters to podcast fans and gives them a deeper understanding of and, and deepens their relationship with leading podcasters and of course shows that they don't know and, and should be listening to and, and all the other things that we're doing with the magazine. But ultimately, I felt like there was an opportunity to create uh, what I might call the, the Sports Illustrated uh, of podcasting or the Rolling Stone of, of podcasting or the Vanity Fair or Wired of, of podcasting. And yeah, it's definitely sort of old media-esque, but we've got other initiatives that we tie into this. So it's, it's really just a, a tool that we have uh, begun leveraging to establish ourselves as the, the leaders in this space, which then gives us uh, more flexibility to do other things and other initiatives behind that. So how did you feel when the first issue came up? Yeah, you know, it's... Uh... It's, it's an interesting thing being in the world of, of magazines and publishing because uh, every single month you got to come up with another issue, right? So uh, it was very cool. I mean, look, we went from idea to launch uh, in, in roughly 100 days. Wow. And so from the moment I sat down with the idea and was like, yeah, you know, let me, let me see if this podcast, let me see if anybody's doing a podcast magazine and looked around and there was somebody who did something at some point, but you know, they never really did much with it. And then what about podcastmagazine.com? Cause of course, if you're going to launch a magazine about podcasts, what else are you going to call it? You got to call it podcast magazine. So you need the URL and founded and then ended up negotiating for the domain and and within again 100 days of, of buying that domain and making that decision uh, we had launched our, our first issue with a, with a crew of about 22 odd people behind it and uh, and so yeah it was very cool to get it out very cool to to have the launch party and uh, and and whatnot and then uh, immediately thereafter we were on to uh, the next issue so which cover has been your most favorite, like which issue so far 
that you just found just, you gravitated to the most. Yeah. I, um, I really think that we've been, we've been finding our stride of late, uh, in terms of the, the create, uh, the, the creativity and, and the creative, uh, within the magazine. Um, and we've got a phenomenal designer who's really just been taking this on full force. Uh, and so, the, the issue we did in November with Jocko Willink on the cover, our, our salute to veterans and the top top veterans in, uh, in podcasting issue, uh, I think is probably my favorite uh, to date, not only because uh, I actually took that picture uh, of Jocko, the one that's, that's on the cover, uh, but just because of the way that uh, Elizabeth did uh, what she did with the American flag and there's the, just the camouflage type and font it just she did such an amazing job with that one so i think of all the covers we've done so far that's probably my favorite now if you were to have any guest that you have not yet had who would you want on the cover and why yeah i mean that that's pretty easy for me it's still rogan um you know love him or hate him i uh yeah he's the he is the 800 pound gorilla in the space. And so, uh, I'll, I'll get to Rogan. We actually, uh, when we first created the, the mocks for, for the covers, uh, we did two mocks. We did one mock of, uh, of Rachel. We actually did a few of them. We did one mock of Rachel Hollis, uh, one of Rogan and one of, uh, Amy Porterfield, I think. Um, and so, uh, I'm sitting down with Rachel in January. We're talking to Amy's team right now, uh, and Rogan will be next. So yeah, it's it's all coming to fruition. So with that being said, do you practice visualization, and is it something that you do like as a vision board, or you know, what are some of your strategies? You know, I um I I am one of those people that just keeps a lot of things in my head. So no, you know, no 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 vision boards or those sort of things. Uh, I have one post-it note uh, on my on my uh, on my monitor right now, uh, which says a ten million dollar plus exit in twenty twenty one slash twenty twenty two with fifty percent plus ownership. Uh, so that's that's really the. The, the only vision board, so to speak, that I have, but I, I've got a, I've got a pretty good sense of what it's going to take to, to get to that number. Uh, and that's, that's what's on the agenda for the next 24 months here. So when you think of moving into 2021, what is, what is the mission that Steve Ulsher is going to be a, making a reality? Yeah. So we, so we have a, uh, a parent company, so to speak, uh, that, that we call Ear Control. And so Ear Control is the parent company uh, of, uh, of four distinct pillars or, or divisions, if you will. Uh, one being our media division, which includes podcast magazine. And then, and, uh, of course, that's the digital and the print and then our email list for that and subscriber list and social and web and so on. So we have the media pillar. Um, the second pillar is our own network of shows. So we just launched the Hot 50 Countdown, which is our Casey Kasem style show for podcasts. Uh, we're launching other shows behind that as well on our own network. Our third pillar is our live event. The New Media Summit, which you mentioned earlier, uh, is morphing into an event that we're calling Pod Expo. And so Pod Expo is kind of like Comic-Con uh, is for that world. Uh, it'll give uh, podcasters and podcast fans the opportunity to connect and deepen the relationships with one another. And um, we're going we're gonna to have a lot of fun with that one. But it'd be a fan-facing, consumer-centric event. Uh, 
and then the fourth pillar is technology. And we're actually going to uh, be developing an app that'll help with discoverability, both for uh, podcasters and, and uh, of course, for podcast fans as well. And so the, the idea is to uh, bundle that together and we'll raise some funds uh, around that and put money and time and attention and resources into each of those pillars. Uh, and then ultimately we'll either separate them out uh, or we'll potentially take it public or we'll sell it. I mean, we'll see what it'll be, but um, that's, uh, that's the plan and that's what needs to happen to get to that number. So one of the couple of things that I've heard you say throughout the interview is something grew out of desire. So that burning desire to bring value to the marketplace. And I think a lot of it in hearing your voice, Steve, is about that creation piece, also seeing what's possible through creation and then the connection with opportunity. So having that burning desire and opportunity, when those two meet, sky's the limit and shattering any limits that are possible. How do you move through mm. any limiting beliefs that might exist? Maybe you have yeah, and, and to work on that, or you know, there might be some that you're still working on. Yeah, I mean, look, I I, I have as many limiting beliefs as uh, as anybody else, and one of the things that um, I've been stuck on for years, for whatever reason, is, uh, is launching my own fund, an investment fund that would have the opportunity to invest in new technologies or uh, those sort of opportunities. So, you know, that, that limiting belief, for whatever reason, still exists. And it's something that I'm, that I'm working through. And it's interesting because uh, the way that I work through my limiting beliefs best is just to take action and do whatever it is that I'm most most afraid of. Because reality is, um, when I look back, it's pretty, I don't want to say laughable. Um, but I think it's pretty funny in terms of what we build up in our minds and what we tell ourselves in terms of stories, uh, in terms of why we can or, or can't do something. Uh, and, and historically, for me, uh, there, there's never been something that I, I can't do. There's just been things that I've been afraid of doing or concerned about doing. But once I do it, um, I mean, like the magazine's a perfect example, right? I mean, I've, I've never, how many magazines have I launched in my career? None, zero, nada, nothing, right? How many, uh, you know, how many teams of, of writers have I had to, to manage to get this magazine released on a monthly basis, zero, none, right? So the, the bottom line is the, the limiting beliefs really do start, I believe, with just having a, a vision that is, that is believable. Um, and you started out the conversation earlier when we were talking about the book and, and talking about, you know, how a lot of people talk about your why. Um, I, I do think that that's part of what holds most people back and myself included. Um, is having a big enough why for doing something. I haven't started the fund because I really haven't had a big enough why, so to speak, uh, for for doing it. If I can if I can pinpoint that and, and put my fingers on it, um, yeah, I, I'm sure it'll happen. I mean, for and, and just uh, and another quick point of. Um, of interest here is we're in the process of opening a funeral home for my wife right now. She's been a funeral director and embalmer uh, for about 10 years now. And it was always one of her dreams to, uh, to open a funeral home. And so 
uh, I've done everything that I could over the last 18 months or so to, to make that happen. And we'll open sometime in 2021. Uh, but that was a, a big enough why to do it, to give her something uh, that she could be proud of and, and, and really to, to have a family business that we could all be proud of. And then to, uh, to, ha- to help her bring her dreams uh, to fruition of having her own place, right? And so, yeah, I think ultimately that's, that is a really important question to be able to answer. Uh, and, and if you can answer that, I think it, it really does help you to move through whatever those limiting beliefs are, because then it's not really about you. It's, it's about something outside of you. And, and I think ultimately that's the biggest difference between your why, uh, which is something that is external and your what, uh, which is everything that is internal. Yeah. Yeah. And they say, you know, it's just like the layering of the onion. You can continue to ask yourself why. And if you say, you know, why well, didn't find a why big enough. So why is that? And then keep continuing with that why question to really dig down to really, like you said, what are you afraid of? Um, is yeah. it's often fear-based. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and I think for the most part, everything is fear-based. I mean, in terms of, um, and my friend Christian Michelson talks about how all of our fears are fears of feelings, right? And so it's really just a matter of getting in touch with whatever those, those feelings are that you have behind those fears, rational or irrational, it doesn't matter. Most of the time, and and almost all of the time, those those fears that we have are our actual fears of feelings, and those feelings and those fears that surround those feelings um, are are healable. So we, you know, often have many people who have contributed to our lives, who have helped us along the journey. Who would be one person who you're most grateful for for the influence on your journey? Yeah, you know, um, got me looking at the, the, if you're looking at the screen, you can see the video. You, uh, again, you'll see the picture of my grandfather um, just over my right shoulder. And so I think he, um, I mean, I could say if I had to choose one person who's had the most influence on me in terms of my entrepreneurial journey, um, I mean, that would certainly be my grandfather who was an entrepreneur. Um, in, in his own right and uh, had been an entrepreneur for his entire life. And so I had a chance to work with him for uh, a few years before his passing. And, uh, and, and I would say that just being able to learn from him and work with him and, and be with him uh, for, well, for my life up until that point, and then being able to work with him. Yeah, that's, uh, that, that's going to be a pretty easy answer for me. Yeah, that's pretty special. Yeah. So I like to ask, and you know, with all interviews, I have two questions that I ask everyone. What is one book that has been the most transformative for you and how your perspective of the world, business, how you approach life? Yeah, it's, um, it's pretty easy for me to answer that one too. Um, and, and I would say that the, the, the book that um, is, it's an oldie, but a goodie. And, um, and I had an opportunity to, um, to actually meet uh, this gentleman and have him on my stage. And, uh, and this, it was, it was pretty special because it was one of actually the last, one of the last keynotes he gave before uh, he passed. Uh, and, and that was, and again, I'm just thinking about it in terms of um, 
just there's personal development stuff and then there's business stuff that have sort of a personal development sort of bend to it. Uh, and, and for me, that book was guerrilla marketing. And I've always just thought of myself in, in sort of this unique sort of way where I just do things and see things a bit differently than, uh, than others. And, and when I read guerrilla marketing and just seeing in, in print there, how Jay Conrad Levinson's mind worked and how he saw things so differently and, and what I just, and, and I read it really early. I mean, I, I think I read it in my very early twenties. Um, and so it just, it, it really gave me permission to, uh, to behave as I wanted to behave in a business setting and do things that others might kind of scratch their head at and go, geez, you know, like, why would you even do that? And how could you do that? And you know, those sort of things, right? But Jay's approach uh, was very much uh, just, it was, it was so unique and, and so singular uh, back then. And now a lot of the things that he had suggested that you do is pretty commonplace, but it's kind of like the four hour work week with Tim Ferriss. Yeah. And when, when Tim launched the four hour work week, a lot of people weren't thinking in that way. Uh, it was the same thing with Jay Conrad Levinson's uh, guerrilla marketing. Just a lot of business people didn't think in that guerrilla mm -hmm. tactic sort of way. And, um, and like I said, I had a chance to sit down with him and interview him and, um, and, and that was really special, but that it, again, it helped me not only from a business perspective, but, but also just from, um, from a personal development perspective as well and gaining more comfort with how I think. Yeah. And definitely a different level of confidence when you can see that someone else out there thinks differently than the rest of the world and being able to bring some of these ideas into reality is a huge accomplishment. So yeah. one of the things I'd like yeah, to yeah. is what does it mean to you to live rich, from the inside out? Well, I mean, it's certainly a different definition and explanation of how I might describe that today than I would uh, perhaps even just, just, just a year ago, right? Because we've, we've had the opportunity to, to really slow down and, and to really take inventory uh, on, on, what is most important and what that looks like for you on an ongoing basis. And, um, and, and I would say for me, the, um, the, the richness, um, that I feel is more around, um, trying anyway, not saying I've, I've got this down pat by any stretch, but trying anyway to, to be more aware of the kind of the, the, wonderful things, if you will, that we have in our lives and being more grateful for who we all are as individuals and, and in terms of our family here and, and, and not, um, again, not to say that, you know, everything is perfect and sunshine and roses, as my wife likes to say, but, um, but I do think that it's, it's given, it's given us a, an opportunity here to really better, uh, just better appreciate who we are and what we have and, and, and just what makes each of us unique, even, even though some of those um, uniquenesses uh, can be very, very challenging, but that, that to me ultimately is what it means to, to be, to be rich uh, on the inside for sure. And, um, and, and, and recognizing even more so now that 
what, what it means to be rich and what it means to have a, a quote unquote successful life and so on um, is really so much more coming from, from what uh, is internal than, than could ever come from anything uh, on an external basis. Well, I want to thank you, Steve, for sharing, you know, um, just different parts of your journey, your book, the podcast magazine. I'd love for you to share how people can stay in touch with you. Yeah. Um, I mean, look, the, the easiest thing to do uh, would be to, to join us. Obviously, you love podcasts. You're here. You're hanging out with us. And so uh, easiest thing to do would be to join us for uh, our journey of uh, of of the evolution and, and, and continuation of uh, all the fun things that are going on in the land of, of podcast magazine. So perhaps uh, we can just give folks a free lifetime subscription. Uh, that would be the best way to keep in touch with me and, and keep everything that's, uh, that's going on in, in the world of podcasts as well. So yeah, podcastmagazine.com. And then if you had a forward slash free, it's a backdoor link to grab a free lifetime subscription. That is so generous. Thank you so much, Stephen. I also ha will have a link for that in the show notes, as well as if you want to get a free copy of Steve's New York Times bestseller, What Is Your What? Discover the one amazing thing you were born to do. I will have that link for you as well. It's www.whatsyourwhat.com. Thank you, Steve, for joining us here on the Millionaire Woman Show. And it was a pleasure to be an icon of influence on the New Media Summit. And I can't wait to see the continuation and the evolution of what you are creating because people are going to be blown away. They need to be I on this that. and check things out. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you everyone for joining us. You can go over to my website as well at www.debrakazowski.com where you can get your three-part video course of making habits stick, build that focus and consistency into your life, your business, your organization, and make those goals and dreams a reality. As Muhammad Gandhi said, be the change you wish to see in the world. On behalf of Steve and myself, go out and make today great.